How are you guys doing? Welcome over here. If you guys are new, do yourself a favor and hit that subscribe button. You guys are listening on the podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, whatever it is. How are you guys doing? If you guys would like to subscribe to those, you guys can down below. Literally, go subscribe to it or just follow it and plug it in. And you guys can just listen while you're driving or at work. It doesn't really matter. Now, I am also working on hiring a few more people to work for this platform, this channel, so I can actually get more documentary-style videos out to you guys. That's what I really want to get out. I really want to get out there uh, and do that kind of stuff. And I got a guy over inside of Ukraine I'm talking to. He's an American who's actually inside of Kharkiv. And I've hopefully found someone I'm going to hire full-time. He's coming back to the States here very soon so we can actually have a chat, sit down. He's filmed some documentary stuff already. But I want to get some on-the-ground footage. It's actually one-of-a-kind stuff. Um, I'm going to bring my camera guy over there. I want to send him over there with him so we can actually get some stuff going on. I, I, I want to get over there myself, like I said. I, I believe I will be able to, but right now we're working on this, and I want to get some more stuff. But my big plan here is to grow this thing into multiple different arms uh, for content when it comes to uh, just, just the real truth of the stuff that's going on and a place for you guys to get your information from that's pretty much just wanted to tell you guys. That's a, Just wanted to give you guys a heads up. I'm working on expanding this thing so we can have some more documentary style stuff for you guys. Now, when it comes to the China piece, this is a piece that we're going to start off with. The chairman of the Central Military Commission has just actually signed an order to issue the outline of military non-war military actions. Okay, I know that sounded a little bit confusing, but the, the non-war military actions. The outline is actually six chapters long with 59 articles in it, and it mainly summarizes what the military would need to achieve present day along with systematically regulating basic principles, organization and command, types of operation, operational support, political uh, work alongs with implements for the troops on the ground. Now, China's Minister of National Defense has actually warned that China will fight at all costs to the very end over Taiwan. Yes, over Taiwan. He stated this. He wanted the world to know that the country will actually literally prevent or will fight to prevent uh, the secession of Taiwan. And honestly, I hope nothing really comes of this by the end of the summer. I, I recall speaking on the fact some leaked information actually came out over the invasion of Taiwan happening towards the end of the summer here a few weeks back. And I hope just like everybody else, I hope it goes away and it does not happen. We don't need it. Like no one needs it in the world. Like this isn't the 30s. We don't need another 40s. We don't need that. So another mass grave has actually been found outside of Kiev, about 30 kilometers west of the city. They've actually exhumed seven bodies in, out of one hole, out of one grave, I guess you'd say, which is a hole. But seven bodies came out of the scene. They were all civilians from a makeshift grave inside of the forest. That was 30 kilometers outside of Kiev. Now, this is another one. I, I think this is the fifth mass grave they found. Now, this one's not as, as, as large as the ones they found on the northwestern side of Kiev. But it is another one that has been found. There's been a lot of stuff I've been hearing about Kyrson, like actual torture chambers and crazy stuff that's been going on down inside of there. And there's a massive offensive going on, which we're going to talk about towards the end of, side of, uh, end of this episode. And it's huge. And it's bigger than we all thought. So, But Ukrainian soft units were actually able to scoop up and arrest a Russian agent. Yes, a Russian agent who was actually leaking the coordinates of Ukrainian military positions inside of Kharkiv to Russian forces. Now, this kind of stuff you guys are seeing, if you guys are listening on podcasts, just imagine some guy getting bagged and tagged. Uh, this kind of stuff, you guys are it clearly, it's, it's, it's a big issue for Ukraine. And I think they'll actually have to deal with this even more so as the war goes on. Because as you guys would assume, there are going to be some civilians who are pro-Russian and who will actually do just about anything to see Mother Russia win the war. But making it known publicly, like they put this out 
making it known publicly that the Ukrainian military is actively seeking out traitors within their country should make something twice and just possibly change the way they actually start distributing the information. That is the, the, the spies, I guess you would say. We all know that back in the 80s, Russia had tons of spies. They still have the same kind of deal working over there inside of Ukraine saboteurs, I guess best way to put it. Now, you guys know, I, I keep seeing these videos. They're of Russian armored trains with big guns rolling around, just basically being used as propaganda tools. Uh, these things aren't, they're not really operating close, like, you know what I mean? Like, people are raising the question, why aren't these things being targeted? Well, they're not near the front lines. The only way for these things to ever be hit by anything, by the way, is by some sort of saboteur taking out the railway or blowing the trains themselves. This also shows you, by the way, how far behind, like mentally, the Russians are when it comes to thinking what would be effective in 2022. Like, 20, or in 2022, uh, this is not going to be effective in any kind of war, like, to date. Like, this is some World War II type stuff you'd see, and this would not last 24 hours in a war with any NATO country. Like, I'm being 100% honest with you guys. They have nothing, like, like just let's be, let's be real. They have nothing to worry about when it comes to things being dropped out of the sky on top of them, so they're using these things as propaganda piece to show the older Russians that they have might inside of Ukraine. And I only wanted to bring this up for you guys can see. They're literally still using Soviet-era tactics and equipment to spread propaganda, to seem stronger than what they really are. Uh, anyway, but we've all seen some crazy things come out of Russian state TV, and I really don't know if you guys enjoy these segments or not, so please let me know in the comments if you find them important. I personally believe they are because it gives you some insight into what is actually being fed to the average Russian civilian about what is going on in the world and how they should actually honestly think towards the West and stuff like that. So let me know down below, please. Оружие должно угрожать в первую очередь территории Соединенных Штатов Америки, не только ядерное. Now it is somewhat funny as you guys watch this clip or you guys just watch it. You just see the older generation of Russians talking about bringing back this Cuban Missile Crisis era while trying to instill fear on the average American. They really were. They're literally talking about bringing it in. The other one's like, oh, no, we can't trust the, the, the people down there in South America. We just can't trust them and all that. And they're like, okay, that's one thing. All right. Now bringing back the Cuban Missile Crisis, like that's not going to happen. And yes, them claiming that the elites inside of America aren't worried about missiles hitting the country, that is very true. No one in America is really worried about that because, to be honest with you, a lot of Americans live in a bubble. They don't, they don't really think anything's going to happen to them, which is, for the most part, probably won't. But, you know, honestly, like, America would mop the floor with Russia in a conventional war. And I do believe they know that. Like, I, I, like I'm just being 100% full-fledged and honest. I have dove so deep into the Ukraine-Russia war I know and I see the Russian tactics and I know American tactics. American tactics almost 10 years ago. I was in eight years ago. You know, I didn't, I, last time I fought in a war was literally 10 years ago. And back then, Russia would not even last a month in a conventional war with us. And I'm just, I'm just being honest. I know a lot of people may not believe me, but they wouldn't be doing as much talking as they are, like as threatening as they are. Like usually the loudest person in the room that is trying to seem as big, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not really that powerful. And anyway, just going to move on. The younger individual that comes out there towards the end and states the obvious that it's really important to at least have an economy, he somewhat understands that you can't just go out there and shoot a nuke at a country and expect, like, what did, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really know what kind of world the Russians really want to live in, but it's not really one I want to be a part of when it comes to, like, they want to make America look like Mario Pool. Okay, but what, what good is that going to do you? What, what are you going to have then? Like, you want to, ah. anyway, we're going to move on to some mapping. All right, best kind of stuff. I know you guys, a lot of you guys and gals out there love this kind of stuff. We're going to start off in Kharkiv. Red, Russia, blue, Ukraine for all you guys and gals out there that are new. 
So here we go. We got a little bit going on inside of Kharkiv. The Russian military seems to be a bit worried about a possible uh, offensive that the Ukrainians could be pushing towards Novi Burlak. I've, I've, I've heard about this actually from two separate sources. It could be a thing that's happening. I don't know, but they've been entrenching. They've been building up uh, fortifications and trenches along this line. Just wanted to make you guys very well aware. This is the area I'm talking about right there. Uh, the Ukrainian military has actually repelled another attack. Uh, Rubazine just north of here. They repelled it. The Ukraine, or excuse me, the Russians tried to push through and take Rubazine, did not pan out. They also pushed out of Ternova, did not pan out. Ternova is controlled by the Russians once again. So this entire, um, I guess you'd say, border area is now controlled by the Russians again. But there hasn't been a lot of movement on this size. Uh, that's pretty much it. You know, of a Kharkiv, there has not been any major offensive. Now, if they do start pushing down here to the south, that could be a big thing because I know there's a big thing going on in Izium. And uh, Kyrgyzstan, there's so much going on now. The Russian forces actually tried to mount a counteroffensive on the western side of Izium in some of the areas that they had lost yesterday, but they were unsuccessful and were actually pushed back. So we're going to push down here towards Izium. So here we are. We're down in Izium once again. Like, this is the area the Russians tried to push all the way back through. They lost this much ground yesterday over the last 24 hours. They tried to take it back. It did not pan out. Now, Ukrainian forces have actually been able to secure another town on the western side of Izium called Prydonesk. Yeah, I think I got that one right. This area right here has been secured by the Ukrainians. Now, it is possible that the Ukrainian military is roughly about 10 kilometers outside the city center of Izium. That's kind of a big deal, okay? That really is. If you guys think about it, this whole area is pretty much just woods, okay? All the way through there. So they're just fighting pretty much like they were back in World War II. Like, let's just be honest. So we're going to move out of this area. So here is Izium. Just keep note of that. And we're going to push a little bit southeast of it. So here is Boho Divine. Boho Divine. Anyway, that area is just on the opposite side of the Nanetsk River. Now, the Russians have actually pushed to the northwestern side of this village and have captured the outskirts of it. Okay. Roughly about that. Now they clearly haven't gone across the river because that bridge has been blown. So they are pushing down through Izium to come south towards Slovenask. Slovenask is the goal. Okay. Slovenask is the main goal. Now I'm going to say right now, it's been about a week. And we know that those Russian sources were claiming that they were going to take this city within a week. They haven't even made it across the river yet. So I'm just going to throw that out there. And now we're going to shift over to Severe Nadesk. There's been a lot going on. I actually want to shift over to the more close-up map for you guys. So I'm going to be changing things. I've edited them up. These circles now. You guys see these, these yellow circles. Those are going to be the areas that are heavily contested. Okay. Now I have edited the map some on the eastern side of the city to reflect the ever-changing landscape that is really being held and contested currently. Like... I'm going to be honest with you guys, this whole area over the last 48 hours has been very confusing. Like what I mean confusing, I mean very confusing to figure out exactly what is held by which party. Like I have no idea as of right now, we're the front line of either side of the, like no one really does because it's ever changing. Okay. Now the Russians did try to assault the town of Borvisky today, but the attack was actually repelled and there was heavy fighting taking place right now in Voronov. So yesterday, I actually have Voronov controlled by the Russians, and today, it's not controlled by anybody. There's just heavy fighting back and forth. So I'm just going to tell you guys right now, this whole area, I'm going to say all the way over to Metalkaline, all the way through here, is going to be heavily contested. Like, it's going to be very difficult. So if anybody tries to tell you they know exactly where the front line is, they might be lying. I'm going to give you guys my honest opinion. Nothing has really changed inside the city itself. But the Russians have also captured most of the town of Tavishka, which is just south of there. And the only portion of this town that is still under Ukrainian control is the western side. So we're going to scroll a little bit south here. And this is the area I'm talking about. 
So they have actually captured just the the like 75% of this town. And the, the main portion, which is actually the most important area, is going to be that western side. You guys see the P66 route. We're going to talk about this here for a second. Okay, you follow this route that leads all the way in here. All right, it leads into Lischansk. Now, this is one of the more important areas. We do know this. So I'm going to go over to my 3D mapping. I want you guys to remember the area that we're talking about. So here is the area the Ukrainians, or excuse me, the Russians have actually taken from the Ukrainians today. They're now starting to move up on a hill. You guys can see, this is the area they've actually had to push through. So they pushed through this, and they've taken roughly about this area I am now scanning through. Now, this other hilltop you guys can see over here, this is still controlled by the Ukrainians. Now, the main route that leads out of here it leads into Lischansk. As you guys can tell, pan a little bit here over to the more southwestern side. And this main route you guys see flows all the way into Lischansk. This is still under Ukrainian control. Okay. Now, we turn it back around. You can see this is all lowlands. This is the area they're trying to get through. Now, I'm not saying it's not significant that the Russians haven't been able to take anything but the low ground, which is very true, but they are now pushing and been able to actually have some success on this side of the river. I love this 3D mapping. If you guys are listening to a podcast, you may want to take a, a pause and go to the YouTube channel and see it because it will give you a better understanding, a better visual of what is actually going on on the ground, and you can actually see what I mean like literally going from these hilltops, they can see all the way into Severe Nadesk. They can see everything. I mean, it, it just makes it a lot easier to understand what's going on. Now we're going to go back over to the other map. And this black line, remember, is the route I was just showing you guys. So all those hilltops you guys see going through there, they're going to have to, to figure out a way to mitigate that. Now the Russians have actually resumed their offenses towards Zolote. So this is actually going to be in the northern side of Papazna. Uh, this is Zolote right there. They've been coming out of Orkiv, Okay. I don't know exactly where the Russian front line of this area is as of right now. We're going to check back tomorrow and see what the outcome of this is after the dust has settled. All I know is the offensive has been kicked off once again by the Russians moving to the to, towards Zolote. They have been coming out of the southwestern side as well, so they're trying to essentially pinch them off. At some point, if they're not able to hold this, okay, you're going to start to see them start retreating back to Hirsky. The main thing is they cannot lose the P66 route that goes in to Lizchansk. Like, they need to maintain this. Now, we always got to remember the Russians do shell the absolute snot piss out of these, out of these cities. So, at some point, uh, the, the Ukrainians are going to be forced to actually leave this area because they're literally not defending anything. Now, on the southern side of Papazna, I'm going to move down over here. We're going to talk about Rody. All right. So on the southern side, the Wagner Group has actually captured the village of Rodi. And it's actually been noted, uh, they're, they're actually continuing their push towards Bakhmat, which is just over here. You guys see this. All right. Now, I also think it's so much strange that some of the Russian sources I sift through say that they, they, they are liberating towns like Rodi when, in fact, they're capturing them. When you liberate a town for being held by an enemy... Uh, you, you can't really claim that you're actually liberating when you are the country that's actually invading. Okay. Now when the country you are invading is actually fighting against you from taking that town, you are now trying and they are trying to prevent you from having it. That's called capturing it. It's not liberating. I have no idea why all these Russian sources saying they're liberating towns. They're capturing towns, but you know what? After a hundred plus day, what are we at? 110 days, 111 days of this war. It seems that the verbiage that's actually being used by the Russians when talking about Ukraine just keeps getting worse in regards for them trying to justify what they are doing. But from what I can gather on the southern front of Papazna, it looks like the Ukrainian element that is in or around the village of Myra Kanova is going to end up having to actually retreat back towards the main route M03. And this is what I'm talking about. 
You don't, they do not want to be cut off. So I'm going to assume everybody inside this yellow area, if they cannot hold their ground, is going to end up retreating back to the M103 route. They're going to have to. They're going to, on, they're going to, they're going to have to. And I keep seeing indication that the Russians are trying to get control of this route, which will, of course, give them access to the city of Bakhmut. Okay? You can see this main city that goes all the way up into here. Now, let's take a look again at the 3D map, and you guys are going to notice this route is actually just surrounded by farmland, okay? I want you guys to notice this, which is honestly not really ideal if you're looking at it from the Russian side of things. Okay, so I want you guys to take note. We're about to look at this is going to be the route, this M103 that's right there. So just take note, there's Kleinov. All right, I'm going to switch over to my, to my mapping here. So where are you at, Kleinov? There's Kleinov. Now, this is the area I'm talking about, this main route, all right? Now, they're trying to get down to this main route. As you guys can look, it is all farmland. Just take a look at this. This main road that comes in here, look at what you see on the side of here, okay? Bunch of vegetation, trees, you see fence lines, all those trees that are going through. This is pretty much just a bunch of farmland, open field. Now, for one, there's nothing really to conceal yourself behind as you advance other than rows of hedges, hedgerows, okay? Which is what the Germans used back in World War II, and it was actually very effective along the main roads. Now, essentially fighting that is going to take place inside this area will, will be along hedgerows, which will give the Ukrainians actually the advantage. And to a certain extent, they're going to work in small groups and set up, a, set up ambushes along the main roads uh, and put in IEDs. I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to hit them. They're going to leave. They're going to work in like two to three man teams, four man teams, and all of them's going to push up. They're going to hit them on, along these hedgerows leading in. And that's, that's pretty much what I'm thinking is going to happen. I mean, you guys think about it. The Russians actually push through here. They get through Kleinov. They get across all these open fields. Yes, they're going to get to these main routes, but they're going to be targeted by indirect fire the entire way they get there. So it's not really the most pleasant thing. If you don't have cover and concealment, you don't really want to push through. I mean, I don't want to push through. Let's just be honest. Now, the Russian military was actually able to capture the towns of Narini and Bilovica, uh, which is just north of here. Okay. Now, I have changed it to be orange. You guys see this area right here. They were actually able to capture this area, which is on the T-1392 route that leads out of Bakhmut. But within the last 12 hours, the town was actually liberated. Both of them were actually liberated by the Ukrainians, who then pushed the Russians back towards the areas surrounding uh, Vasilovica. Now, I wasn't for sure that they had actually entered and or controlled any portions of these towns, but it's actually been confirmed and cross-checked with my Ukrainian sources just to make sure it was true. This is actually a big win when you guys look at it from the Ukrainian forces, and honestly, because they really cannot afford to lose any portion of this main route. This main route I'm talking about, leading out of Bakhmut, going northeast, okay? They cannot, they really can't. Now, remember, there is a massive ridgeline that runs all the way along here, Okay. All right, we're going to move over to Kirsten. For everybody who does not know, let's go to the big map real quick. Uh, a lot of people don't know really what's going on. This is kind of the outline of, of what's being held by Russia inside of Ukraine. But we were just sitting inside of Papazna right here. We're going to back up, and we are going to slide. Nothing has happened along this line, all right? So we're going to slide all the way over here. There's a lot going on. Oh, my God, look at that. Now we're going to the in-depth map because that one right there is kind of busy. Now, there has been a ton going on over the past week just outside of Kyrgyzstan, just north of Kyrgyzstan. The Ukrainian counteroffensive actually gained some steam once again, and they seem to be actually taking some ground back from the Russians. So as you guys can see, all along this area, all along this area right here, oh my, do you guys see all this? Yes, there is a ton. There's a lot going on. Every single yellow circle you see is an area where heavy fighting is currently taking place. Every single one of them. Look at that, all the way down. It took me a little bit to actually sift through this because there's a lot going on. What I mean, like, oh, my God. Extremely heavy fighting has been taking place in certain areas. Sunir Vika, probably jacked that name up just a tad bit, right here. 
Uh, there's extremely, extremely heavy fighting on the northern side of it due to the Ukrainian military actually trying to gain a foothold in the city. Okay, now the Ukrainians are also trying to currently expand their bridgehead they have in, on the Inhulets River while also attacking Snirgovica, uh, which the Inhulets, where I'm ta- area I'm talking about, is right here. There's also heavy fighting going on in Davy Brid. I mean, there's a lot going on in the Kyrgyzstan area, and they've, they've actually, the closest element is roughly 15 kilometers from the city center of Kyrgyzstan. Okay, now there has been a, a fuel, or excuse me, an ammo depot of the Russian military that was attacked just north of Kyrgyzstan itself, as you guys can see in this overlaying images. It was in the town of Nova Kokosha, right here, which of course is on this main route. You guys see two. 40, or excuse me, P-47 that leads out of there. This is the main area that's actually supplying all the northern Russian elements uh, with their supplies. So that's kind of a big deal if they were actually able to hit a, a fuel and ammo depot inside of Kyrgyzstan that is supplying this entire area. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for tomorrow. I do love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out over here on the channel. I'm out. See you guys tomorrow.